that you're on the podcast. So uh, we're a small podcast in North Phoenix. Um, it's myself, Frank. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm actually opening a business with a low-carb emphasis too, which I'll talk about, but this is more about you. Um, so I just want to give a little light introduction. So this is just a couple of dudes podcasts. Again, we focus on good men and we're so fortunate to have a good woman on that you are changing the world in your little slice of pie of life, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I have Dr. Kristen Baer. She's a low-carb MD. She's double board certified in obesity and family medicine with an emphasis on metabolic health. She has treated chronic debilitating migraines uh, with painful flares from autoimmune disease herself and joint pain, which is amazing. She's been featured on podcasts with Low Carb MD Podcast, Low Carb USA Podcast, and Keto Savage. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. In Keto. And she has a clinic that just started, lowcarbmdsandiego.com. Works with another physician, Dr. Brian Lenskis. And uh, you sound like quite the woman. Oh, thank you. That was quite a nice introduction. But yeah, like you mentioned, I... Um... We actually just opened our clinic last week, Dr. Brian Lenskis and I, it's called Low Carb MD San Diego, and we're trying to pave the way for a different form of healthcare and make it actual healthcare instead of sick care and really focus on lifestyle and prevention of disease. I, uh, I absolutely love it. So what's great about you is that you're a physician, so you have a ton of schooling. I always love my physicians because it's so much hard work and dedication to do that route, um, but you're also the patient, right? Yeah, so <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you you can speak, you can live, you talk the talk, but you also walk the walk. I um I do argue with other physicians sometimes. They may be smart and can regurgitate some articles in scientific literature, right? But then they're three hundred pounds, and I'm like, well, you know, you're not living the 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 discipline, right? And you're not following obviously some form of health. So I just think I look up to more doctors that have struggled and have persevered. Oh, thank you. That's that's very nice. And um, I was definitely in the, the same category for a while at the start of my medical career. I, I knew all the studies inside and out, but I didn't really um, live the lifestyle uh, at that point. It was kind of my own struggles with migraines and autoimmune disease that made me realize we do, as patients, have a lot of power uh, to control our health with what we put in our body. And sadly, in uh, medical training in medical school, you really don't get that that education. It's basically following the faulty nutritional guidelines and um, the diet, the DASH diet for hypertension and what the American Heart Association puts out. And you just, the more you dive into it, you realize these uh, guidelines are based on faulty science and are really ineffective for most people. The whole calories in, calories out model. Um, I'm not saying calories aren't relevant, but uh, you know, if you're eating processed food all day long and high carbohydrates, it's going to be to control your caloric content. Um, mm -hmm. That's uh, well, I love it. I just think. It, it is really hard because you have like, I have a bu bunch of buddies that are physicians, right? I mean, you're, the amount of training you have with medical school, your undergrad, your residency, and then just the amount of clinical hours you have. Um, it's a shame that you get one day of nutrition. Yeah, it, it really is. It, mm -hmm. uh, it needs to change in the system to train future physicians. And it needs to be done well, right? So nutritional training, we really need to focus on where the guidelines came from 
and we need to talk about more than just minimum requirements for protein and vitamins and minerals and really examine what the proper nutritional profiles are for people to thrive to prevent disease. Mm-hmm, definitely. And what, what I don't understand is the amount of ego that's out there, right? So if, if our medical paradigm is working so well, why are we arguably the most unhealthy population in the world? Exactly, exactly. There's such dogma around it. And, you know, it is, it's ego, it's pride, it's people who are never going to admit that they were wrong, um, or that they have ulterior motives, you know, if there's financial interests uh, Mm -hmm. to be gained, or what what have you. Um, But those, those things are very real. And it's, it is hard to swallow your pride and say, hey, I made the mistake. And I definitely did. I was telling people to eat grains and tons of fruit and vegetables every day for the first few years of my career. And, mm-hmm. and you have to go back and, and backpedal, admit that you were wrong or didn't have a complete assessment and mm-hmm. just move forward from there. I think that's so wonderful because there's something about having humility because the people that have power in education but are not humble are the most scary, dangerous people, right? And you're starting yeah. to see that with COVID with any health problem, instead of talking about, I don't want to talk about COVID. I just want to be very brief um, because I want to talk about your practice and what you do and what you care about. But briefly with COVID is all we talk about is washing our hands, wearing a mask, which is fine. But we don't talk about our immune system at all. It's it's, it's so true. And that's, I mean, it's, it's such a shame too with COVID because we do know that people with metabolic disease, diabetes, hypertension, or insulin resistance, those are the ones that have complications and mm-hmm. a higher mortality rate from COVID. And it's just baffling that the conversation is not around building your immune system, improving metabolic health to reduce your risk. Yeah. Can I tell you a few things how I treat COVID? So I work in three environments. I work in internal medicine at a hospital, a micro hospital. I work uh, in an emergency room now. Uh, and then I also work urgent care. So urgent care, I was my full-time job, and I see a lot of COVID patients, positive, negative, whatever. I swab them all myself, but some things that help. So I give azithromycin, right? Sometimes it can help with inflammation of lungs. It might, might be nice prevention. Albuterol in case they're short of breath. I give vitamin D, right? It's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if they're real sick and willing to pay for it, I recommend like a vitamin C and zinc infusion. I have personally oh, yeah. had patients, like a, I had a 67-year-old patient, and one day she felt 100% better. It was so worth it. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I think vitamin C is interesting. I mean, everyone has, has pretty much heard take vitamin C when you have a cold, and then they complain that they drink orange juice and they didn't get any better. And I think even a lot of the studies, it's the, the um, key is the dose, right? Mm-hmm. Taking 500 milligrams, probably not going to do a whole lot. We're talking like high boluses of, mm-hmm. of vitamin C. Um, and I've seen some go up to like 20,000 milligrams so, yeah. or mm-hmm. even, even more. So um, there's, there's a lot, a lot of wiggle room in there, but I think that's a great regimen. Yeah. I would have no problem. I would be happy if patients were, were put on that if, if they had COVID yeah. and yeah. probably for a lot of respiratory infections in general, zinc and vitamin C, those are, are good things. Yeah. I just think like what happened to treating the patient, right? I've only been a nurse practitioner since September. I was a nurse in all kinds of fields, but I think I'm just more open-minded. Like we're in a pandemic for some reason, we'll push these very expensive, strong medicines. Like 
you know, uh, resdemivir, remdesivir, or hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. But vitamin D seems to be doing wonderful, and vitamin C. And um, what else? Uh, dexamethasone. I'm a huge fan of dexamethasone. And yeah. why are we, I get the, so the pharmaceuticals, they are evil. They, they are kind of, I'm sorry. But they are, they're in business to make a drug that has to make money. So you have to understand, yeah. right? So obviously they're not going to be the leaders in focusing on dexamethasone because they don't make a lot of money on that drug anymore. I think remdesivir costs five grand for five days, something like that. It's crazy. And yeah, it really is. And I think that goes uh, along with why there aren't a lot of nutritional studies too, or uh, in trial interventions with things like proper sleep and sunlight and vitamin yeah. D supplementation. Because no, someone has to pay for the, the trials and the mm -hmm. studies, but no one's going to be making much money off of them. So there's really no incentive for companies or organizations to do any uh, studies on vitamins and minerals and other lifestyle modifications. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I love what you do. I wish I lived in, well, I'm not a fan of California overall. I'd love to visit. I have family there. That's about, <laughs> I don't know about Fair moving enough. there. I don't know. About, I would love to live in San Diego if I made enough money. How about that? But um, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm so excited that there's physicians like you and your partner, I haven't met them that are doing direct primary care. Can you explain that? Oh yeah, sure. And, and thank you. Um, so Prior to opening direct primary care, um, I was working mostly in urgent care at the time. My partner has been in internal medicine for over 15 years. And we both were just so discouraged with the healthcare system. Um, oh, let me give you an example. The hospital I used to work at, just to walk in the door, they charged a facility fee of $500. Mm. So before you even talk to anyone, you're going to get charged $500. And then wow. there were just outrageous charges for a strep test even, yeah. or like a urine analysis. And um, people had insurance, but they were still, you know, paying high deductibles and mm -hmm. co-pays. And it was just, it was insane. And we were really being dictated by hospital administration saying how many patients we have to see a day, mm -hmm. how much time we have with the patients. You're given incentives for coding and billing. Like you have to bill so much each month. Um, and it was just, it, it was a horrible system. We were burning out and mm -hmm. we didn't feel like we were able to spend enough time with patients and really provide the lifestyle interventions that we wanted. So uh, direct primary care is a newer model and we don't deal with insurance. Direct primary mm -hmm. care is a membership-based program. You pay a fee every month and you have unlimited access to your doctors. Um, usually it's anywhere from like 75 to $200 a month. You keep your... Uh, insurance as well, but you can, uh, like catastrophic coverage works really well in case there's mm -hmm. any surgeries or accidents, emergency room visits. Um, so I, I don't want to say it's replacing insurance, but it, it reduces the barrier. And we have um, highly discounted cash pay rates at local imaging centers and labs for our patients as well. Um, and really what it allows for us, so just for reference, a typical primary care doctor has about 2,500 patients um, that they, they care for. With direct primary care, we're limiting our practice to about seven to 800. So we have less than half mm -hmm. of the volume. Um, and that allows us to spend an hour with each patient during an appointment and really have the time to discuss lifestyle and nutrition and mm -hmm. you know whatever else is, is on the patient's mind, make sure all questions are answered. and. 
um, yeah, it's, it's better for the patients, it's better for the physicians, and it, it's been a great, great model so far. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner, so all my clinicals were in family practice and urgent care. Uh, my nursing background is ER, ICU, tele, med-surg, psych. I kind of jump all around. I just like to stay busy. Yeah. Um, I love life, and I'm really happy. Um, so uh, in family practice, I couldn't tell you how unbelievable an experience it was. Um, I call it the social work of medicine, and I mean that in the best way possible. They're the most underpaid and the most overworked. And, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it's I, I would agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, I couldn't believe the amount of responsibility they had, right? Because you manage, you walk a long life with these patients, but you're not paid enough. You're overstressed. They're working 12 hours a day, five days a week, and they're not paid to, they're not getting paid a lot of money, right? Like they're, you want your physicians happy and healthy and balanced, right? So your yeah. care's better. Exactly. And that's where we were starting to feel a little hypocritical. And like we might see patients for nine to 10 hours a day and then have three or four hours of work when we get home to review charts, review labs, mm -hmm. call patients back, respond to emails and faxes. And then, I mean, pretty like every Sunday, it, it's preparing for the week ahead. So, um, yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. I think, you know, people call and think we just work nine to five because that's the only time we take appointments. Yeah. But, um, you know, a, a good primary doctor is really staying on top of your charts, your labs, preventive medicine, all of that, which there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes when, when we're not in front of the patient. Yeah, I, I've done so many jobs. I'm an Air Force veteran. I'm, I did sales. I did uh, insurance. I did, I just do all kinds of things, right? So yeah. I think I just come, I came into the medical field with other experiences. So when I saw it, I was a little bit more objective where, you know, sometimes you get physicians that, you know, a lot of them just go right into it right out of school. And that creates this like kind of narrow minded view because all you're seeing your entire time is the medical side of it, right? And I don't know mm -hmm. if you had a prior career prior, but like, I don't, I think a lot of physicians don't even understand how hard they have it. Like it doesn't have to be that yeah. way, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was talking to one of my best friends uh, back in Chicago yesterday, who's a family medicine doctor as well. And she's just burnt out to the max. And it's yeah. like, we're hoping to really um, help other physicians kind of transition into a direct primary care or concierge mm -hmm. practice as well. One, it's, it's incredibly uh, gratifying mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to really care for patients and, and do preventive medicine as well. But it's just, it's unsustainable working those many hours and being on call all the time, like physicians are going to burn out and that's when things get missed and you become a little more um, complacent and it's, it's just not a long-term uh, strategy for, for good healthcare. Yes. And I just, um, I'm so, I'm just naturally positive because I have to be right. There's a lot of things in life right now that sound chaotic. I don't watch the news. I don't have time and I don't want to be lied to every day. So I just don't understand why people watch it, but same when it comes to medical, right? So I'm not going to look for every article every day and look and have to, you know, skim through it and be like, well, this is what the result was, right? We're seeing a lot of that. Cause like the, um, yeah. and like, there goes so much into was that study even worthwhile to read? Yes, and this for those who haven't read a, a full study, they're long. It's not a quick mm -hmm. five-minute read. Like to mm -hmm. really dissect and and go through the the methods and 
all the data, it, it takes a good half hour to an hour, I'd say, for each article that you, you thoroughly read. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our nutrition, so the problem with this is that instead of realizing that we were wrong, very simple, low-fat diet, we can, we can all agree that was a horrible recommendation, and I could argue it actually killed millions of people, right? I mean, you think yeah. about it, right? Diabetes, Absolutely. obesity, cancer, I mean, everything, heart disease, nothing has trended down. Like nothing. So I don't no. know why we can't look at it and go, well, obviously we've recommended a low fat diet since the sixties, which was founded on biased, literally uh, bought for science by the sugar industry. I mean, there's evidence. Mm -hmm. It takes 10 minutes yeah. to find this. And it's like, well, if, why would you believe some of the guidelines now if we've been wrong so many times, right? I think you have to just challenge everything in a good way. That's what I think. I agree completely. And, you know, I think that was, that's not always taught in medical school. Mm -hmm. I'd say actually it's rarely taught that you have to be a critical thinker when you're in medicine and with many other occupations as well. Like, okay, we're taught these guidelines, but what's the basis for it? We're taught, you know, everyone gets a statin if they have, you know, a history of heart disease and, and, whatever, but why? What is that recommendation based off of? Where did the low-fat diet guidelines come from? It's, it's developing the curiosity and the skills to go back and do your own research. Yeah, and I think, I think so many good things are happening. Like uh, I saw that you, you know Dr. Ben Bickman? Oh yeah, big fan of Dr. Bickman. Yeah. So he said something very, uh, I, he was on our podcast. I unfortunately wasn't there that day, but he's amazing, right? He's a PhD. Yeah. I like him. I like Dr. Rhonda Patrick. What I like about mm -hmm. PhDs, which they don't get enough credit, is all they do is provide research, right? Yes. And yes. you and I are treating the patient. So instead of looking at it like this, we need to work like this, right? And I'm like, yeah. I'm humble enough to listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Dr. Ben Bickman. They're smarter, not smart, not necessarily smarter than me. They're just, they come with different skills and experience. So we need exactly. to understand that they need to be part of the team. So, and all that, I think that's starting to change, you know, like physicians, uh, mid-levels, APPs, whatever you want to call us, we're changing. Like, we're not just following a guideline, right? We're trying to be like, yeah. well, you know, the cholesterol guidelines, let's talk about it. You know, is LDL actually as bad as they say? Well, there's actually positives to it. That's what we're yeah. finding. And yeah. it's just, it's just it's astounding how long we went um, just regurgitating really poor information and not seeing positive results. It's like being on a diet, but never losing weight. Well, obviously it's not working for you, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I, that, I think any physician who, who at least is in primary care and in other specialties too, but you realize it's just completely deflating after a while that you're telling people to follow these guidelines and their conditions are getting worse. Like if that isn't a red flag that something is wrong and we need to explore why this is, like I don't know what is. And then as soon as you kind of go off and do your own research and realize there is a whole other school of thought out there and start implementing that, you get results. And I don't know why there's such resistance to that when we have science to back it up Mm -hmm. And just 
every day more and more success stories are coming out. People getting off of their insulin. People, we've even seen reversal of plaques in the coronary arteries, which yes. before, mm-hmm. up until recently, that was unheard of. You never, you never saw regression. Um, but you still just have these people who refuse to believe it or refuse to admit they were wrong or have, you know, been giving through no fault of their own, but bad advice for, for years because that's what they were taught. Yeah, I just, I'm so excited for the future. Um, there's like being a physician, I know 90, 95% of physicians are caring individuals from my experience. They might be burnt out. They might not balance their own life. Um, but or 90% like really want to make a difference, right? They went into it for the right reason. And that's what I see. I was very astounded when I got into medicine. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people that really care, you know? And yeah. There's people that are now starting to look outside the box and you got people like, these are the doctors I want to rattle off. Dr. Sean Baker, orthopedic surgeon, Air Force veteran. I heard him on Joe Rogan. I love the guy. He's a bit brash, right? But that's, that's, that's his niche, right? Yeah, that's um, his brand. Yeah, and I actually heard him on Joe Rogan. He said to eat steak and I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. And I, I ate nothing but steak basically and I felt the best I've ever felt. <laughs> and I was, like, yeah. I was like, okay, he's got something to this, right? I read his book. Yeah. Um, Dr. Paul Saladino, I think he should mm-hmm. actually be the leader when it comes to the carnivore type movement because he's so smart, right? A cardiologist, PA, and now a mm-hmm. psychiatrist, MD, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever heard. Um, and he I think he has, about. yeah, I agree. And and mm-hmm. he had, he did training in integrative medicine too. Yep, out of um, Tucson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just really, I mean, his knowledge base. Uh, physiology and biochemistry is outstanding. I, I mm-hmm. agree with you. Uh, I love Sean Baker too, but Paul Paul Saladino really focuses tightly on the science, and yeah. um, he, he could probably out debate anyone. <laughs> and, yeah, and I saw that you had um, I forget her name, but she was a uh, she was on the NBC Titans games. She's a oh, female doctor. Uh, Dr. Jamie Seaman. I love her because she's in the OBGYN world and I just don't know how to relate to women as much, but I really feel that women are struggling the most, right? With when it comes to um, the hormones being off balance from the diet, right? This whole, there's a lot of myths and stuff and I can't relate. I'm a male, right? I don't have, uh, you know, a period monthly with cramps, but (laughs) I can tell you that your hormones are out of whack because you fill your void with sugar. Right. I can tell you that estrogen is out of whack. I can tell you birth control is not really recommended. Right. If we can avoid it, like, let's just be honest about these conversations. And you have someone like, like her, like Jamie, who's an OBGYN who was not in shape. She was very unhealthy. You could tell kind of bloated. I don't know her. And then she did keto and she's such a stud. Like, oh yeah. She's she's, incredible. Yeah. She's strong. She's beautiful. She posts science regardless of the emotional response. And I told her that I go, I go, well, you are amazing. Like, tell me how to speak to women because women, I I relate to men more, but I try to help women. They just don't listen to me as well. I think being, just being a man, I don't know, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, I think women do relate to to other women. Well, um, at least when it comes to to getting sympathy and knowing what they're going through. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Dr. Seaman, she, she really is incredible. And she's another one who, you know, preaches what, or practices what she preaches. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, with we have a direct primary care and we do a special medical weight loss program in our clinic. Mm-hmm. And I would say 
90% of my patients are female. Um, and of that, I'd say probably the majority of them, almost all of them are peri or postmenopausal. So mm. there is definitely kind of a void in that area and, and helping women really understand their hormones and how to correct mm -hmm. them. And it's, yeah. I don't want to, you know, be misleading. It's not just diet, but diet is a very big factor, but mm -hmm. there are other components as well. But I, yeah, I love that Jamie's bringing attention to that. And, you know, even with PCOS now, how it's based on insulin resistance. It always and, has been. It always has been. That's yeah. what's funny. We give metformin you, for it. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. or, you know, we'll put you on birth control, which is like putting a Band-Aid over the problem without addressing the diet, which yeah. PCOS, I, like there are two things that I have seen, like, and I have no doubt can be completely reversed mm -hmm. with diet, not just two things, there's more, but type two diabetes, true mm -hmm. type two diabetes, not like late onset autoimmune or type one, but mm -hmm. type two diabetes and PCOS completely lifestyle. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just baffling that we're still throwing medication. I'm so, it. I'm so grateful that you come on just so I'm so excited. I could talk to you for hours, but so, <laughs> um, God, I'm just, I'm just so, again, so excited. What I liked about um, your business too, is that you do a low carb type format. I like low carbohydrate recommendation because it's broad, but it's also simple. So when the physician says you need to eat healthy and exercise, I go, what does that mean? Cause the patient doesn't yeah. understand what that means. Right. It's, it's so true. Um, yeah. And, and we focus, so I'm sure you saw the study that about 88% of Americans have metabolic disease of some sort. Yes. So increased mm -hmm. waist circumference, elevated triglycerides, lower HDL, higher BMI, hypertension, 88%. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is based on insulin resistance. So we, we preach a low carbohydrate diet because that's going to be the best way to, to reverse that insulin resistance and bring your insulin down. And then all the other parameters fall into place. Right. Um, but it's, it's crazy how many people are first appointment. We have to walk it back and explain some, we have to explain what a carbohydrate is mm -hmm. and others we have, it's the biggest challenge is getting them over their fear of meat and dairy and mm -hmm. saturated fat. It, it, it through no fault of their own. It's been ingrained in them for, for decades. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work. And then on the flip side, we have people who, who, have been keto or low carb for many years and they're just excited to have a doctor that understands them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so pumped for you. I can't tell you like, so my practice, can I, can I describe my practice real quick? It's coming out. I would love to hear about it. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm a nurse practitioner. I start, I'm pretty, I'm a go-getter a bit. Right. Um, but I, I became an NP this September. I started urgent care. I did internal medicine. Now I'm doing ER and all three. But I started a business October, and the focus is on joint health initially, um, okay. which is going to focus on stem cells, uh, PRP, and then some basic steroid. It's a cash business, meaning I don't have to be dictated by insurance, and I can lower the cost. Nice. Um, it's just me, maybe one physician partner. But I'm also going to be providing free nutritional consultation with fasting protocols. So oh, I've, excellent. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Jason Fung, obesity oh, coach. Yeah. Uh, the uh, fasting genius. And I think he's the, he's the best science-based interpretation of how we gain weight, right? With insulin being the key. Um, and I just think that just even that consultation is 
uh, it's groundbreaking. For me, I can actually eat worse. <laughs> like, this is the thing. I can eat worse if I fast. It's really weird. Like, I still have abs. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it gives you, it, uh, and I hate to say this, because there's, there's so many, uh, if someone is, is struggling with, with obesity, mm-hmm. um, you know, we could be dealing with a carbohydrate addiction. We could be dealing with a sugar addiction. There's always the psychological component. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't often tell them that they can eat worse if they fast and yeah. <laughs> try to, you know, make it a combination. Yeah. But for someone who, who like yourself, um, yeah, it, it gives you a little more flexibility. It increases yeah. your carb tolerance during your eating mm-hmm. window. And um, yeah, there's, there's so many benefits to fasting. And um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that as well. What's your typical fasting regimen for yourself? You know, I'm not a huge fan of eating. Like I eat, but I've never had an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm naturally lean. I'm 6'1", 180 pounds. Uh, my dad is 6'4", 190, if you can imagine. Um, so I know my genetics, right? I'm, I'm a little blessed when yeah. it comes to, I could still gain weight, but I don't drink a lot. I don't smoke. You know what I mean? So I have some yeah. genetic, uh, I'm, I'm lucky. That's all I want to say to start. But I, I eat between 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. And it's very easy. Like I don't even think about it. Um, I'll have yeah. black coffee is it um, on the off hours and water. Uh, I don't, I don't like sugar. I'm not a fan of it. If I don't eat it, I don't crave it. Um, yeah, exactly. So, That's the key, right? You just got to yeah. break that cycle for people mm-hmm. who, who do crave sugar. And sugar is actually one of the worst. So I'm a big fan of psychiatric health, mental health. And eventually I might get more into that, get my certification. But I used to have uh, PTSD and it's completely gone from EMDR. It's gone. Wow. Yeah. See, those so. stories, those are so incredible. And, mm-hmm. and those are things that are not studied, right? But there's so many anecdotes out there. And I'm sorry, that, that must have been very stressful for you. But knowing that there's hope with yeah. lifestyle modifications to, yep. to get some relief from your symptoms, that's incredible. It, it's unbelievable. And that's why I have this podcast. Uh, we might partner with another doctor and stuff like that. People are so hopeful, right? I, I see so many people with emotional trauma. And you brought up the psychological um, factor to obesity. That's like my 600 pound life, right? Is it really the food or were you abused and raped as a child and you have coped and hidden with food? If you don't fix that, you'll never fix the weight, right? That's it. Exactly. I'd say most of my patients, um, not all of them, but most of them come in already seeing a psychologist, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And those that are not, it's, quite common for me to refer them to one because you can't fix one thing without the other. No. Like if, if there's a food addiction and obesity and we don't have, as Dr. Rob Cyrus would say, that emotional buoyancy mm-hmm. and able to find other methods for processing and dealing with, with uncomfortable emotions. Like it doesn't matter how much I talk to you about a low carbohydrate diet. It's, it's not going to work unless we yeah. address the underlying root cause uh, with the psychological component. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I didn't believe in it. I did an EMDR intensive. I think the key is actually an intensive. So I did two eight hour sessions back, you know, back to back days. That's how I had progress. And I just healed like six traumas in my life. And I didn't think I went through a lot. You know, I'm not a combat veteran. I'm a veteran. Um, but I didn't realize how much I went through that jacked me up. Right. And then I, you know, we try to diagnose people as providers, but I try not to diagnose people. I try to tell you, hey, you have anxiety now, but that doesn't mean you live your anxiety, right? It's not a lifelong disease. Like stop, yeah. stop that, you know, you don't, just because you're obese right now, if you lose the weight, you're not obese anymore. 
Exactly, exactly. It's so true. And I think, um, and I can tell, I love your positive vibe and attitude. And I think patients need that too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not scaring them. It's not giving them stern lectures. It's expressing sympathy, understanding where they're coming from, understanding their struggles, and expressing hope and encouragement and, you know, a brighter future ahead. That makes a big difference. Yeah, I just... There, I'm so lucky I found, like I've had 20 jobs. I'm so lucky I got into the nurse practitioner field. I wouldn't do MD unless I was 18. It's just so much schooling. You know, I'm like a, yeah. you know, I have no debt, you know, for example, I make a good That's salary. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I paid cash in my GI bill, right? But I get to basically yeah. do as independent in Arizona, basically the same thing you do. I don't have the science background. I'm not going to argue that. Um, but I don't want it anyways. It's okay. I know enough, yeah. right? I care more about the connection. Yeah. I care more about the person. I care more about staying up to date on, you know, what I've experienced, what I see. I can still read a study, right? Yeah, exactly. And look at how much is self-taught now. All, what, the majority of what I practiced was self-taught. Yeah. Yes, they have like the foundation in, in physiology and biochemistry and pharmacology, like all, you know, PA and NP programs have. But so much now is, is self-taught and staying yeah. current. And I think, you know, not, not to bash on my profession, but some, I mean, physicians and uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants, they are very busy. It is hard to find that balance between staying on top of your current work, balancing friends and family, time to work out, and staying up to date and keeping up with new studies and things that come out. But um yeah, I, I think it's great that, that you're able to, to have a practice and really help patients. And I mean, I, I think what you're doing is, is wonderful. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I used to look at physicians as like, I told a buddy, he's a doctor. I told, I look at you as like unicorns or like superheroes because <laughs> I am the first one with a bachelor degree in my family. So to have a master's degree, like my family looks at me weird. Like I'm a blue collar background, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. so it's just different. I'm like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe them. I, I, I'm kind of a spaz. I don't have ADHD. I just like to jump around and, you know, stay enticed, but, uh, to stay in school that long, I'm like, wow, that's a long trek. That's like a marathon. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. You know, I have one of my best friends from medical school. He's a trauma surgeon mm. out in Pittsburgh, but similar background, like, um, you know, he, he actually, he had a rough um, time in high school. He lost his mom at an early age. He had mm. four younger siblings. He was really helping raise and only one in his, his family right now with a, with a college degree out of his siblings and everything. And I don't know if you're familiar with the training for a trauma surgeon. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Like after college, you do four years of medical school mm -hmm. and then he did another seven years of residency oh. and then fellowship on top of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like he was what, 36, 37 before yeah. he even started practicing. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm glad there's, there's other avenues coming out for people like yourself to, to really be able to help people because I think as time goes on, you're going to see less and less doctors or mm -hmm. people applying to medical school. And even you are, you are going into primary care. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, nurse practitioners, I think, are filling the void. And we just have to understand that, A, it's our responsibility to learn as much as we can. Also, to be humble enough that we're not the physician, right? There's times I've been right over a physician, but at the same token, I always respect the physician because they have the schooling, the clinical hours, and the practice. Like, 
I go to you in the ER because you've seen this right more often than I have. And that's yeah. such a great relationship. So it, it is. And it's so, it, and I, I love that you say like, you have to respect what you don't know. And that's true for physicians too. Mm-hmm. Nothing good happens when you pretend that you know something or are familiar with something when you're really not. Mm-hmm. You have to, in medicine, you absolutely have to stay humble enough to get consultations, to ask for, you know, a second opinion from your colleagues and things. And if there is debate, um, like you said, keeping it respectful and kind of going back to the roots and taking time to look things up before the decision outcome is, is made. And um, it definitely, I, I have a, a good friend who's a physician assistant and uh, she has been working in dermatology for a long time. And I ask her for her opinion quite often. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. It, it, experience goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I, there's something about, I learned so much on the job, right? School's okay, but by the time you're learning the textbook, medicine, we can't even cite articles past five years because we have to stay, we have to stay um, current, right? It's constantly mm-hmm. changing. What we knew 10 years ago versus today is much different, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. It, um, that's why we, we shouldn't, with COVID, that's what's, that's what's crazy is this is a novel virus, meaning it's new, right? And every day we're learning something more. That's why the testing is getting better. That's why we're understanding treatment plans. That's why we're studying like, you know, how viruses works. We haven't really had a virus outbreak like this in our lifetime. And we have to respect the, you know, the scientific method, right? If we cannot continue to challenge, 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 get the same outcome, we need to keep challenging. Yes, exactly. Never, never settle for the current, you know, belief system. You should always be questioning it. And you know what, maybe 10 years from now, we're going to think something completely different as yeah. new science comes out, new studies, and we have to be okay with being able to adapt and, and pivot as needed to promote healthcare and, and preventive medicine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you just, you get compliant, that's, that's when things go bad. <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, I'm so proud of you. I don't know you, but I'm so proud of <laughs> you, you and how you're helping people in California. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm just so, like I said, I'm so excited. I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's where I get my news is from there. And I pick and choose articles and science. I try to listen. Like we have big things come out. The Journal of American Cardiology, the top cardiology in the U.S. just came out and said saturated fat is not only not bad for you, it's good for you. That's groundbreaking. Yeah. It is. It is. And you know what's a little frustrating is the lag time between when these studies come out and when they start circulating in the media and mm-hmm. actually are implemented in practice. Because that could be a decade. Yeah. Um, but or I think longer. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With, with social media and people like yourself with this podcast, bringing more awareness to get the ball rolling a little faster uh, than by conventional medicine, waiting for the medical society to, to pick up. Um, I think it's great. And I think it's really empowering for patients to get this information quickly. Yeah. Ma'am, it is two o'clock. Is there any, I know you have to get going. Is there anything else you want to add or kind of leave the listeners with? No, I, this was great. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so excited for you too on, on this Thank journey. You. And I love hearing um, other practitioners who are really taking uh, the chance and going on the cash pay model. Um, mm-hmm. And cash pay, just so your listeners know, it was usually much more economical than going through insurance. Oh, it's way um, more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really jack up prices and everything. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited for you, and I'm so flattered you uh, had me on your podcast. And I'd love to come back anytime. In, yes, in please. Future. Maybe maybe eventually I'll meet you. Not right now in California, but uh, <laughs> I, do, so, I do love San Diego. Locked down again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I uh, I was in the Air Force, so I used to go to uh, what was it, Pendleton? Pendleton, the Marine base. Oh yeah, Camp Pendleton. Uh, yeah. Yeah, with my but my a best friend used to be there. Me. And yeah, then, uh, it's I a have, beautiful area. Yeah, <laughs> real, real beautiful. I have a, a family in Oceanside area. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, who knows? Excellent. Well, yeah, if you're out this way, let me know. Yeah. Um, it would be great to meet up. We'll have a, a low-carb meal. <laughs> yeah, right? Some type of meat and low-carbs. But yeah, um, we'll find some steak. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to um, tell the listeners where they can find you? Sure. I am and mostly on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter now. And my handle for both is Doctoring Keto. Um, and um, our, our website for our practice is lowcarbmdsandiego.com. And I'm taking patients. Uh, we have a whole virtual platform set up so I can take patients from Illinois and California at this point. Um, for telemedicine, even if you don't don't live in San Diego, or we're happy to see patients in person that, that are a little more local, but mm-hmm. we're hoping to expand and get our license. Arizona, Nevada, Texas are kind of next on our radar to really uh, be able to help more people. If you uh, get in Arizona, I could refer you so many patients because so many patients <laughs> need a good direct primary care and they would pay for it. So when you do do that, please reach out because oh, awesome. you're my number one. So will do thank you that would be great yeah thank you ma'am so much for being on right. and good luck with your practice okay thank you. thank you same to you all right take care thanks bye-bye